We appreciate it so much, that group, the volunteer to come. Most of them didn't know each other before then. And we're going to be sharing more and more as they discuss the things we're going to be discussing. And I wish we had the time and the capacity for each of you, you know, like in your rows, to get around a table and have a cup of coffee or chocolate and, and talk about that. You know, who is Jesus to you? How have you encountered him? What are your doubts? What are your worries? What are your joys? And we don't have that ability, though after the service you could grab the people in your role and go to coffee and do that. But you have the ability to pray for the people in your role right now. So I want you to bow your heads. And as we start this series up, would you just say a prayer for them? God knows where they're coming from. You don't even have to know their name. We just pray that God would meet them in a very, very special way in these next several weeks. Father, it's so good for us to be able to lift each other up to you. And I just want to lift up everyone here and those online as well. And pray, and include myself, Lord. Pray in these next few weeks we'd encounter you like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Who is Jesus? That's our series title. It's a question. And it's an important question. Most people accept that somebody named Jesus lived once upon a time ago. An historical Jesus lived. The debate, though, is about his divinity. Was he, is he the son of God? Even Jesus' first followers struggled with that. And they didn't really come to understand who Jesus was until after they had watched him, listened to him, and had done life with him. That's when the Father revealed to them that indeed Jesus was and is the son of God. And I want to suggest to you that you and I cannot know who Jesus truly is until we do the same, until we do life with him by watching him and listening to him and responding to him. I can imagine someone thinking to themselves, well, I already believe who Jesus is, so I guess I'll have to be here for this series. I can go ice fishing on weekends. Well, then I want you to ask yourself a question I frequently ask myself. So What? So what? So what? I know who Jesus is. Is he known in me? So what? I know who Jesus is. Do I experience him on a daily basis in my life? So what? I know who Jesus is. Is he changing me? Am I, am I living daily with him? Is there a sense of his presence in me when people are around me? Maybe you better not go ice fishing. Maybe we need to re-encounter who Jesus is. Or I imagine someone might be thinking to themselves, well, I don't think Jesus really cares about me. I am so unworthy. I'm so messed up. Well, guess what? He wants you on the journey. In fact, he prefers you on the journey over the people who think they got it all together. It's a lot easier to work with you than with me. So we all can be on the journey. If you know somebody you think that would be helped by being on the journey with you, invite them. I don't care if they're an atheist or, or, or an overconfident believer. It doesn't matter to me. We're all going to meet Jesus in a fresh new way, God willing, through this series. So we're going to start, and we're going to start in Luke chapter 5. So turn your Bibles open there, would you please? And as you turn there, um, I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, to let us know. We can get you one. Let us know if the new here stop here desk or one of the pastors afterwards. You can use the Bible we provide. Turn on your electric, electronic Bible. I'm not going to put all the verses on the screen. There's just too many. 
throughout this series as we travel through the Gospel of Luke. All right, we're going to join the journey already in progress. So here we go, and we're going to go to the Sea of Galilee, one of my favorite places in all of Israel. This is an older picture, but to this very day, they still use boats similar to this. Some of the fishermen do. And they still use nets. And so this is where the story happens in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is there, and he's teaching a large crowd. And there are some fishermen who are drying their nets and taking the debris out of them because they fished all night and caught a thing. Some of those fishermen Jesus has already spoken to. He's already introduced himself to them. He's already asked them, would you follow me? And they're in the process of trying to decide whether to follow or not. One of those guys is a guy named Simon. We know him as Peter, Simon Peter. Which is, by the way, kind of interesting because Jesus, when he first met him in John chapter 1, said, Simon, your name is going to be Petros, rock, or Peter. And you need to be aware of this, that if you're going to go on the journey with Jesus, he's probably going to change your your identity. Are you okay with that? You're not quite sure, are you? That's a big decision to make. Because we're all known by something or in some way. Some of us are known in a certain way we prefer not to be known. But we're all known. And he's known as Peter the fisherman. And that's about to change. So Jesus says to Peter, can I borrow your boat? And so Jesus gets out in the boat. You can imagine they shoved off to the shore a little bit. And Jesus sits in the front of the boat. And from the front of the boat, he's teaching. And Peter's in the back. And Peter's wrestling. He's wrestling with whether or not to believe that this carpenter turned rabbi who claims to be the Messiah is indeed the Son of God and worth leaving everything that Peter knows behind, his identity, Peter the fisherman, and following Jesus to go change the world. You've got to appreciate how hard this was because Jesus is not the first person to show up in those days and claim to be the Messiah. We know that there are others who showed up and claimed to be the Messiahs and went down with the Romans who put them out and put them away for their rebelliousness. It would be like you going to work tomorrow or going home and having somebody knock on your door or meeting at the Starbucks and they say to you, hi, I'm Jesus, I'm the Messiah, I'm here to save the world. You want to help me? <laughs> You'd be like, get away from me as far as possible. You're nuts. Crazy. That's assuming you never heard of Jesus before. So this is a big deal decision for Peter and the others to have to make. Do I follow him? Do I sell everything? And do I go down this road with him on this mission to change the world? Is he really the Messiah? And then Jesus does something unexpected. And from a human perspective, it doesn't seem very smart. It doesn't seem like if you're trying to get people to follow you that you would ask them to do something that's not going to work. It doesn't even make sense. Jesus says to Peter, after he's done teaching the crowd, he says, take your boat and push out into deeper water, let down your nets, and let's catch fish. Here's a carpenter telling a fisherman how to fish. And Peter fished all night and caught nothing. And the fact that Peter fished all night tells us we know this from the history of the Sea of Galilee. You don't catch fish during the day. You catch fish at night. And not in the deep, but in the shallow. I'll never forget being in Israel one of my first times. I'm out by the Sea of Galilee. The sun hasn't even come up come up yet. It's very dark. I'm, being, I'm just spending time alone with God. And just as the sun begins to break the horizon, things light up. About 20 yards off from me in the Sea of Galilee are two guys in a boat drawing in their nets. They've been fishing all night. It was surreal. 
And so Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you know, I, I beg your pardon, but I fished all night, didn't catch anything. But if you insist, that's what I'll do out of respect for you. So Peter oars this boat over there. And you need to know that two other guys, James and John, which were business partners, had also gotten in their boats. Jesus had been talking to them as well. And they're probably kind of curious what's going on. So they're kind of following along. Peter spills his nets into the water. And then suddenly it seemed like every fish in the Sea of Galilee went rushing into those nets. And Peter is trying to pull those nets in. He is straining with everything he can. It is the greatest catch he's ever had. He yells out, James, John, come over here and help me get my nets in. And they all pull those nets in. And it says there's so much fish in both boats that they nearly sink the boats. It's the greatest catch he's ever had. Greatest catch he's ever had. And then something profound happens. Let me show you what it is. Luke chapter 5, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. What happened to Peter? I'll tell you what happened to Peter. And I love how Tim Keller puts it. He said, Peter had a self-quake. Peter had a self-quake. You ever had a self-quake? Do you know what a self-quake is? A self-quake is when you get so close to God, you realize how unworthy you are. And self-quake is when you get so close to God, you see your sinfulness. You see how bad you really are in the light of his glory. And you crumple. You want God to just get away. And that's why a lot of people don't follow Jesus. Because we put an enormous amount of time covering up our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, as we say in Celebrate Recovery. We cover up our lives. We try to look as good as possible in front of others. We don't want people to see our faults. And so our modern psychologists tell us that we should focus on how good we are and not really think about our sinfulness and not think about our badness, that that all comes to the environment, that inwardly speaking, we're all really good people. And you know where one of the places, you know one of the most notorious places for cover-ups is? And it's not Washington, D.C. It is the church. The church is one of the most notorious places for covering up. We all show up and try to look good. I mean, you're all beautiful and handsome, by the way. I'm talking about we try to look good on the inside. That's why a lot of people are turned off from the church, because they show up, and if they're not a believer, they sniff hypocrisy right away, don't they? I mean, they sniff it out right away. Our young people, our students, they sniff out hypocrisy so easily. If you ever need a hypocrisy meter, just ask a student to come along with you. They'll tell you who the hypocrite is. Sometimes I feel like the church should be like a huge 12-step program. Hi, I'm Dale, and I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. And you all go, what? Well, at least some of you did. The rest of you are faking it. Just kidding. All right? See so what I'm trying to say? If you're going to draw close to Jesus, understand right away, if you're going to follow him, who is Jesus? He'll expose everything that's wrong with you in his sight. In fact, over in Luke chapter 8, verse 17, Jesus spoke these words. He said, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Want to follow a Jesus like that? 
who holds up the mirror and lets you see yourself who you really are. That's prerequisite to following him. But listen to this. This is the good news. You ready? Here's what happens to Peter. Even though the person who made, feel, who made Peter feel more unworthy than he'd ever felt in his life, who made him feel worse about himself than he'd ever felt in his life, even though Jesus did that to him, Jesus also is the one who affirms him more deeply than anybody had ever affirmed him before. You say, what do you mean by that? Because after Peter finally acknowledges what a mess his life is, I'm a sinner, get away from me, Jesus looks at him and says, come follow me. Isn't that beautiful? That's just, that's not the human way of doing things. Usually when we find out how bad somebody is, we say, not on my team. When I was a kid growing up, we came back from the mission field and I went into the public school system. I didn't know how to play basketball. And I was kind of clumsy and it wasn't very coordinated. It was a little bit on the husky side, as my mom used to say. And I just couldn't dribble a ball and walk and shoot a layup. It just was so hard for me. That's why I'm not a huge basketball fan. And I hated when we had the basketball unit in gym class because it always went on forever. And invariably, what would happen is they would line us all up against the wall. Remember those? How many of you remember those days? And when you had to wear the little red shirt, uh, the little red shorts and white t-shirt, remember those? Nothing cool about that, right? Especially when you're a little husky, right? And they pull out some of the best leaders, you know, the best kids. In a big gym, there'd be four teams. Two teams playing one half, two teams in the other. And all four kids would start picking people off the wall. Well, invariably, I would be one of the last two to three. And on a couple occasions, and I'm not making this up, all right? But on a couple occasions, I am the last guy on the wall. And now it's turned, you know, it's turned, uh, it's this captain's turn to choose me. And he says to the next captain, we don't need Hummel, you can have him. Boy, that helps the self-esteem, doesn't it? You know what? Everybody is God's first choice. And God does not choose you because you're the best. He chooses you because you're the worst. God's ways are not our ways. And I'm thankful for that. How about you? Because you know what? You're all really bad people. Myself included. Apart from God, can we just own it? Can we just accept it? We're flawed. We're terribly flawed. We're sinful. That's why a lot of people, like I said, won't follow Jesus. That's why Pharisees wouldn't follow Jesus because they didn't see themselves as bad because they were always comparing themselves against other people. So I suppose if that's how you want to live your life, you can feel better about yourself. But I'm told I'm supposed to compare myself against God, not against you. Which then ends a whole lot of relational problems. <laughs> Because we're all, I hate to use this term, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. But you know, when I become broken and I, and I, I, and I kneel there and I go, God, I don't deserve a thing from you, that's when God, that's when God has the easiest chance and means to use us. Because we, then we become so moldable in his hands. He's not having to deal with our pride, our pretense, and all those things. But to stay uh, in that mindset is... Boy, that's a daily discipline that Peter would learn and we are going to learn as well. By the way, do you notice the passage of Scripture? It's only after God gives Peter his greatest catch that he says, 
Finally, come follow me. Seems kind of mean, doesn't it? Makes him hugely successful and then says, leave your success and come follow me. But I think there's a reason why. I think there's a reason why. I can't prove it. I think it was to teach Peter a lesson. The lesson was, Peter, what makes you great is not your ability to fish. I'm the one that made you a great fisherman. What makes you a great business person is not because you're so good at business because God gave you those abilities. What makes you a great athlete, God gave you those abilities. What makes you a great musician, God gave you those abilities. What makes you whatever you are, whatever you're known by that you like, whatever capacity, whatever ability that's, that's good, God gave it to you. And I'd rather have my identity to be Dale the follower of Jesus than Dale the pastor of Wooddale or Dale the preacher of the gospel. How about you? What's your identity? Follower of Jesus. That means you're totally dependent on him and taking your self-esteem from him. All right, let's move on. This one I made up. I'm currently calling it an other quake. An other quake. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have an other quake. So what do you mean by that? Look at the passage, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Let's observe the period for a moment. All right. You say, Pastor, I mean, do you have something for punctuation? You'll find out why, okay? He says, I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now you need to understand that in the Bible, the word leprosy can cover a broad range of skin disease. All the way down to the most serious disease where the flesh literally begins to rot and you lose sensation. So anybody who was suspected of having leprosy or a contagious skin disease was quarantined from the rest of the community. It meant you couldn't be with your loved ones. It meant you couldn't go to temple. You couldn't go to synagogue. You had to leave the town. And until you are healed and the priest approves that, you are ostracized. And so to be a leper in that day is equivalent to a social death sentence. And wherever you are, if you have hair, it must be disheveled. You must wear old clothes. And when people come within about 10 yards of you, you must cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine a lifestyle like that? Can you imagine running around, walking around, and every time somebody gets within, you know, 10 yards of you, you got to yell out, unclean, unclean. You talk about a lonely life. Now imagine this leper when he broke protocol and came right toward Jesus and fell at his feet, that if the 12 were anywhere nearby, they did one of these. And I guarantee you, if you had seen that leper coming and knew what you know about leprosy, you would have done one of these as well. I remember when I was a kid on the mission field, way back when, there was this guy that came on the mission station where we lived, just my family, in a bamboo house, thatched floors. He was thought to have leprosy, and I didn't know that. I'm just a little kid. And I ended up making contact with this guy. And when my mom find out, found out, my mom snatched me away and scrubbed me down every crack and crevice with betadine. I think I said that right. The orange stuff. I mean, she was going to disinfect me as much as possible and then watch me because I might have leprosy. Nasty stuff. Dangerous. But Jesus doesn't flinch. And the guy buries his face in the dirt and says, would you heal me? And it says that Jesus touched him. 
You know, Jesus could have just spoken and said, be healed, and made no physical contact. But Jesus touched him. Hadn't healed him yet, had not healed him yet, but Jesus touched him. Do you know how healing that must have been to that leper? To feel touch. And this is the touch of God in the flesh. Listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to take you places you never thought you would go, and he's going to introduce you to people that you would prefer not to meet. Because all of us have a leper list. A leper list, people we put on the list that we prefer to avoid and stay away from. They may be people of a different political persuasion. They may have a different sexual orientation. They may come from a different social status. They may have a different ethnicity and background or color of skin or whatever it is. We create our list of untouchables, our list of people that we would just prefer not to be infected by. And you cannot follow Jesus and have a list like that. He is going to, uh, he is going to confront that list all the time. And he's going to ask you to be willing to touch their lives. Peter had a list like that. Even after the resurrection, Peter had a list like that. And on the top of this list were all Gentiles. <laughs> One day he was on top of a house having lunch. He was hungry. And God lets him have a vision. And the vision, the sheet comes down. There's all these unclean animals forbidden to eat like pork by any Jew. And God says to him, rise up, kill and eat. Peter says, I have never eaten pork before. I can't do that. I have observed the ceremonial law. There's no way I can do that. And God says to him, listen to me, Peter. What I have called clean, you are not to call unclean. And the next thing Peter knew, he was standing at the door of a Gentile named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, who happened to be a Roman officer, two strikes, sharing the gospel with him. Who's on your list? Speaking of lists, when I first came here, I introduced you to a concept I want to bring back in front of you again. We're going to talk a lot about it this year called Adopt 7. So take out this little card in your Wooddale Week if you received one, please. Adopt 7. Now some of you know what it is, some of you do not, so let me walk you through it. It is just a means, it is just a tool to help you think about how to reach out to others. Others who may not know Jesus. You don't even have to know their name. In the Bible, a household does not mean your blood relatives. A household includes anybody you have regular contact with. They're considered to be part of your family. You may not even know their name. That waitress or waiter, host or hostess, that individual at work or at the gym that you just see all the time. There's a few things we'd like you to do with them. Follow it. Number one, you know, choose the seven that God lays in your heart. Write down their names or write what they do if you don't know their names yet. Number two, pray for them. You can do that. You can pray for them. You know, I'm not saying pray in front of them, but you can pray for them all the time in different ways we tell you. Number three, have a conversation. Get to know them. Number four, meet a need. Do yard work. Help them with something that's going on in their life. Number five, have celebrations with them. Marsha and I got to know a, a family uh, several years ago and, uh, of a different faith, than uh, the Jewish faith. And, and, you know, we just loved on them. And 
we just used to, we have such great times with them and we just let God lead us in that relationship and they invited us for all kinds of holidays and we celebrate with them and you know I remember they invited us over for the bris of their son the circumcision didn't really want to go to that but uh, it was it was a it was a big deal last service I called it a brie accidentally and so then everybody's telling me it's would you go have cheese or what it's like no all right so you know, just spending time with them. Marcia made me so jealous this weekend. She, she, she found a new person to put on her Adopt 7 list. And, and it was a God thing. It was, she was telling me about it. It was such a God thing. And I was, but she was at a salon. I can't do that. And, uh, um, and it just, it's just, she's got somebody. I like, God, give me, give me these people for my list. And God has done that in the past. And I tell you what, in the past, he's put some people on my list that I got to tell you what, were on my leper list. One was a neighbor. Isn't that terrible? Shame on me. And this guy just drank too much. And he had loud music and party too much. I think I've told you about him before. And he beat up his girlfriend. But you know what happened? God intersected our lives in such a way and compelled me in such a way to reach out to him. That he's, he's one of my dear friends. Another guy used to hang out with the Hell's Angels. He was a neighbor too. <laughs> and I just thought, he's on my leper list. And you know what? He's as close to me today as my own flesh and blood brother. And I could give you other stories. You can't, you can't, you can't put people on the leper list. You got to put them on God's list. And be able to reach out to them. That's how we change the world. An other quake. Now, we're going to talk about a God quake. You ready for a God quake? You know, 8.30, I said that, and there were crickets. 9.45, I said that, and there were about 12 people. 11 o'clock, about 20% of you. Are you ready for a God quake? Yeah. Amen. All right, so make sure you're with me. All right, I love this story, okay, Gospel of Luke. But it takes place in a town called Capernaum, and I want you to look at Capernaum today. This is the ancient ruins. I've been here many times. If you can see the synagogue, this dates back to the days of Jesus, and there's some basalt rock down here. That's the very foundation where Jesus stood and taught and healed and did miracles. These are the ancient ruins of the houses. Now, and this is Sea of Galilee. Now, let me take you back to what it may have looked like in Jesus' day. It was expansive. It was a fishing village. See a Galilee, and you see these homes, and I want you to see this rendering because I want you to notice there are stair steps that go up all of these homes, and that's because it can be so hot there sometimes in the summer that they'll live their life on top of their house under the shade. So Jesus is in one of these homes that he's teaching, and it's crowded in the home, and it's crowded outside of the home. Everybody's hanging on his very word, and everybody wants Jesus to touch them, to heal them. And four guys show up, and they're carrying a, 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 a stretcher, and on the stretcher is their paralyzed friend. Now, I don't know if you've ever picked somebody up who's unconscious or paralyzed, but they're, it, they are so heavy because there's nothing they can do to help you out. These guys show up, and their intent is to take this guy in the house and see and have Jesus heal their friend. They can't get in. So what do they do? They climb up the stairs. Can you imagine how arduous that was? And they get to the top and they start digging through the ceiling. Can you imagine some people out there going, hey, what are you guys doing? But before anything could be done, guess what? They pop a hole in the ceiling. Can you imagine everybody in the room looking up, seeing daylight, and then all of a sudden, down comes this guy, and his friends are letting him down, you know, hand by hand, rope, all the way down, until finally he's at eye level with Jesus, who's sitting there probably on the floor, 
Can you imagine what it must have been like? I have a vivid imagination. I, and I, have, I just wonder, what's this guy, what's his face like when he looks over and there's Jesus? Is the guy like smiling? Is he like wide-eyed? What's going to happen now? And how about Jesus? Do you think he was scowling? Like, how dare you interrupt me? Actually, I think he's smiling, maybe even laughing. And how about the religious leaders who showed up that day? I guarantee you they were scowling. I don't know how the owner of the house felt. But Jesus says something that confused the paralyzed man and his friends and provoked the religious leaders. Perplexed the friends and provoked the leaders. Say, well, what did he say? Tells you right there. Look in verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Ta-da! And it's about as dead silent as it is in here right now. It was like, what? That's not what the four friends and their paralyzed buddy came for. I mean, they had a religious system to deal with sin. They shown up for a miracle. Heal my friend. Why doesn't Jesus say, you're healed. Get up and go home. Now, I don't have time to develop the whole passage, but in essence, I'll tell you what Jesus is saying to them. As you keep reading the passage, in essence, what he, in essence, what he says to them, and I'm paraphrasing a, a commentary on this, is, you know what? I could heal you right now. And you could go home and walk all the way and never be paralyzed again. But you're still going to die. And when you die, your soul will be eternally separated from your creator, from God. Or I can forgive your sins. You can go home paralyzed, die, but you will be dancing with God someday. Now, which would you rather have? And then there's the religious guys. Look at their response in verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Of course, Jesus knew what they were thinking. You know, here's the issue. On the one hand, they're right. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus is God. Who is Jesus? Jesus. <laughs> They didn't want to accept Jesus as God. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why they didn't want to accept Jesus as God, because he was taking over God's business. And they thought they owned God's business. Religion. They were the mediaries between God and the people. And they had taken God's law and God's word, and they had made laws about God's law, and then they made laws about the laws that they made about God's law. And all kinds of traditions. And they made it so hard for the common person that you literally could not experience God's love and God's forgiveness because you were never good enough. They set the bar. Everything was benchmarked by them. And it made them proud. And it made them political. And in essence, what Jesus says to them is, I'm taking the business away from you. It's no longer going to be about religion. I'm bringing religion to an end. Jesus brings religion to an end, folks. Because religion always starts with me and makes its way up to God. And when it starts with me up to God, it means I set the rules. 
And Jesus is saying, I'm changing the rules. It's not about religion, it's about relationship. You've got to trust me. I'm going to pay for your sins. And then Jesus says, and just so you know who you're talking to, I'm paraphrasing, but just so you know who you all are talking to today, he looks at the guy on the mat and he says, get up, take your mat and go home. And the guy gets up, rolls up his mat and dances all the way home. It's a beautiful story. Look at it. Come down to verse, uh, to the end of verse 24. It says, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. You know what they experienced? A God quake. A God quake. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, and I include myself, would love to see God do a miracle today? Absolutely. Do you all understand you have seen and experienced, most of you have seen and experienced the greatest miracle God ever does? Dying on the cross and forgiving your sins and making you perfect before his father. Are you aware of that? That's a miracle. That's a miracle. I know there's a lot of focus these days on other miracles. You know, when I go overseas and as a missionary kid, I, you know, I experienced it personally. Healed from typhoid fever, should have died. And overseas, when I go these days to India, Nepal, Bangladesh, I hear stories of people being raised from the dead, people delivered from demons, people who are healed, people who, you know, our arms are straightened, who can walk again, etc. I hear all of that. And then I come home and people say to me, why doesn't God do miracles like that here? And I ask myself the same question. God, why don't you do miracles like that here? Why is it so few and far between? Why don't we see it like they, like they see it over there? And it dawned on me today, or this weekend, it dawned on me. Here's what I think is going on. We tend to look at miracles as an end in themselves. God, do this miracle for me, for my benefit. Overseas, the miracles that happen are always connected to who Jesus is and salvation of people who don't know Jesus. I had an old group here at 8.30 from Kenya. They're sitting right down there in the row. And when I made that point, I'm telling you what, they're all like nodding their heads. Yep, yep, that's what's going on overseas. The church in America today, very, you know, very few people are reaching out to, to people who don't know Jesus. It's very insular, it's all about ourselves. And so I, I don't think we're going to see miracles like we want to see until those miracles get connected to the people we're trying to reach for Christ, the Adopt Seven. And when we truly start caring about lost people, when we truly start reaching out to them, I think we're going to see an increase of miracles. Why? so people will realize who Jesus is. But as long as it's just for me, just for us, what purpose is there? For God's purpose is that none should perish, but all should what? All should come to repentance. Amen. Who is Jesus? That's just going to be a great journey. It's going to be a provocative journey. It's going to be a humbling journey. It's going to be an exciting journey. It's going to be a life-changing journey. 
and I hope you take it with me. Let's pray. Father God, we just humble ourselves before you this day, and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you so much for him. Father, we desire Jesus in our life. We want him more than anything else, oh God. And if, Father, that yearning isn't there, would you put it in there for us, God? Father, we don't want to just know about Jesus. We truly want to experience Jesus. We don't want to just talk about Jesus. We want to hear Jesus. We don't want to just live a moral lifestyle and, and try to pretend to be like his disciples. We want to be his modern-day equivalents of what Peter and John and James and Paul were, oh God. We don't want to just hear what Jesus used to do in the past. We want Jesus to do it today. And so we're presenting ourselves to you, oh God. And like Peter, we humble ourselves for you. And we admit we're broken, messed up people. But we hear you calling. Come follow me. I pray that we're willing to go. In a few minutes, the band's going to share with us a song. And I just love, I love the words of this song. It starts out, all our father saw in the days of old. Would you do it again? Do it again. All the stories told, all the miracles. Would you do it again? Do it again. You said, consecrate yourselves to me. And you will see amazing things. I don't know about you. I want him to do it again. Amen.